Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so glad you're joining me in my kitchen today. We have a very special guest today. Joe Guerrera has a new cookbook out called Joe Knows Fish, Taking the Intimidation Out of Cooking Seafood. Welcome to Kitchen Chat, Joe. Thank you, Margaret. I really need this book, Joe, because I am so intimidated about cooking seafood. Why do you think so many uh, home chefs out there have this intimidation? I think because it, it cooks quicker than a steak, than a beef steak. It cooks quicker than a chicken. It cooks quicker than a pork chop. <laughs> I think, you know, it, re- it just requires a little bit more, a lot more attention. It, just, it, 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 it requires attention. You know, normally if you just have to sit still for, for a minute or two, mm-hmm. it seems like a long time. But if, you, if, you, if you're sautéing a piece of fish or grilling a piece of fish, and it's got to go a minute and a half, on each side or two minutes on each side, that will go rather quickly. Yes. So you have to just pay attention. Okay, and that is a great point. We really need to pay attention. Now, the other thing that concerns me, and I know that these days you can get everything filleted and everything, but what is the best way? Because the reason I'm saying all this, I think, uh, as the listeners know, uh, many of them, when I was four years old, Joe, I have such vivid memories of choking on a fishbone. Um, my dad had beautifully prepared this fish, but somehow one tiny fishbone was still there. And I just, you know, have this big memory of choking on that. And it really has kind of impacted, I think, in terms of, of my intimidation of uh, making fish. I mean, what, how do you make sure that all of the bones are out? Well, you know, first of all, um, it depends on the item that you're referring to, mm-hmm. but I'll give you an example. You know, um, the way the book is, was, was made, it was made in 10 chapters, and the first chapter is grilling. And the reason why the first chapter is grilling is because that's the easiest thing to do, and it's the most uh, friendly that people will understand. So the same way they grill a burger or they grill a beefsteak, they could grill a piece of tuna or a piece of swordfish or a piece of salmon. Mm-hmm. And those items won't, I believe, won't have the bone that you're afraid of. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the, the first thing is if, if yeah, just um, if there's an aversion to bones, stick with the fillets and grilling is the easiest to do. The steaks. 
Filet steaks. Yes. Yes. Okay. Steaks, not filets. Great. And then you were... Filets, mm-hmm. filets, is where, filets is where you could have the pin bone in the belly part. Mm-hmm. You won't have that with a steak. Okay. Okay. So it depends on the cut with yes. everything. Okay. That makes sense. So you're talking about the way that the book is formatted. So you started off with grilling. And let's just start with grilling. So are there any um, any any key things? I mean, is it important in terms of, is it like barbecue? Do you put a rub on the fish? I mean, what are some important things to remember when you're grilling fish? I have different, I have a, I have a, a Cajun rub mm-hmm. in the book that I put on swordfish. And then I have another recipe where I just put olive oil, salt, and pepper on tuna. Wow. So there, I, I, have, I have different recipes, but again, it requires focus. And if you like your tuna rare, you put it on the grill for a minute and a half, and a one-inch thick tuna steak. You put it on the grill for a minute and a half. Do not touch it. Wait for the 90 seconds to pass, and then flip it and wait another 90 seconds, and then you should be done. Easy as that. It, 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 that is really a simple approach. That is great. Now, I, I know that another question that keeps on coming up is, can you eat fish skin? Most definitely you can. Especially, well, it depends. Of course, you can't eat the skin of a swordfish and you can't eat the skin of tuna. Okay. But you could definitely have skin of salmon, or you could have the skin of a uh, any, any any whole fish, whether it's a, a bronzino, a porgy, a snapper, a bass. Of course, you could eat the skin, especially when it's crunchy. It's delicious. It's like you're eating a piece of chicken skin. Yeah. Okay. So you can eat the and and so it's like uh, grilling. Uh, is it? tastier to have the skin on when you grill it or not absolutely absolutely i leave the skin on okay that this is good to know so um when you put the rub on you put the rub on the skin true of course wow Okay, I'm learning so much. I never, you know, I I just always try to, um, you know, when the if I buy salmon, I always make sure I'm I'm skinning it before I put it in the pan. So even with salmon, can you eat the skin? Absolutely, you can. Okay. One of the, I personally, that's all the flavor. It's it it. it, it. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I love. I I, I love. I'm, I'm sure you could. People could relate by eating a piece of fried chicken with the with the, with the skin fried. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how much I love a piece of skin on on seafood. You have completely changed my frame of reference about skin on seafood. You're right. If you compare it to fried chicken, that makes so much sense. <laughs> See, you're already helping me get over my intimidation. <laughs> You know, 
that's the premise of the book is just taking that intimidation out because, and the only way to do that is just focus. And it's very simple. It's very simple. You just have to focus for a short period of time. Okay. No, this is great. So I love to, Joe, how in your book, you, you introduce the reader to types of fishes we might not really be familiar with. So I've never heard of local bluefish. Can you tell us about this type of fish? It's, it's, a, it's a local on the East Coast. It's in the mackerel family. It has that uh, stronger flavor. It's not as mild as a sole or as a cod. But again, when just like when any fish is fresh, you will, I will give, I will cook you any piece of fish, and you will love it. <laughs> I am sure, and I, I love. Well, let's just take a step back, Joe. How did you? find your passion with fish? What is your, your background story of how you even became a fish expert? Well, my dad had a little seafood shop and um, I, gra- I, I graduated college and I was going to law school and I decided I didn't want to go to law school. I, I, I enjoyed the seafood business and uh, my, dad, my dad didn't like that. But um, <clears throat> I stayed in the seafood business. And I just applied myself. And um, I guess the rest is history. Wow. And I love how um, in the book you do share with us about how the, the food revolution, fish and the food revolution, really started in the 1970s. And, and can you share the story with um, about how uh, a very special chef friend of yours helped open the door? Well, I was... And... Um, 1978 or 79. There was a chef named Wolfgang Puck. Yeah. Who was, he was not Wolfgang Puck at that time. He was working for someone. He was working for a, a French family in, uh, in Los Angeles at a restaurant called Mamezon. And uh, I was so happened to be supplying his friend in New York. And he told me, and at that time, this is before farm salmon, before arugula, before prosciutto, before all these items came into the country. This is, be, this is, be, that's why I, that's why it's the, it was really the food revolution. And, and the scene, I have to hand it to Wolfgang. It started in California, not New York. At that time in New York, you had all the old French uh, restaurants that were still there. But this nouveau cuisine started in California. So he calls me up and he says, you know, he says, I, I know you're supplying my friend Angelo. He goes, what could you do for me? So I got on a plane and I went to go see him. And when I went to see him, he was very receptive. I said, listen, I, I could help you. I said, but I need a, but what I do need is I need some more customers. This way I could bring the freight costs down. 
So he gave me a list of names. And every single one of them I went. And when, once I said Wolfgang sent me, it was like this, this it was like the, the Red Sea parted. <laughs> and um, and they, they all entertained me. And shortly thereafter, I started supplying. Uh, so a couple of weeks after that, I got everybody's order. And I put their order together on a Tuesday. And um, I took it to the airport. And I went to cargo. I put all, everybody's different seafood cartons in a container. And uh, I had my, my driver drive me around in front of the airport. I got off. I got on the plane, the same plane, and um, landed in Los Angeles, rented, stayed in a motel overnight, woke up in the morning, rented a van, went to cargo, delivered all the packages, and came back on a red eye. <laughs> wow. Wow. And the doors so, just continue to open. That was, that was one of my breaks. Wow. And you have worked with and continue to work with some of the top chefs uh, around the country. Um, uh, because of what I do in New York, every chef, every, every chef knows who I am. And, uh, you know, and many of them, uh, with, my, with my gourmet stores, which are called Citarella, yes. um, they, they, if they run out of merchandise, they come to my stores to fill in <laughs> on, a, on a Saturday or a Sunday. Oh, wow. You really, yes. And I'm so excited that the readers now can learn even more about your history and, and what you provide in the plates of restaurants, they can now look at providing on their own tables and get the intimidation out of that. And even, you know, having a better understanding for those listeners who are, are just diners and enjoy going out, just have a greater appreciation of, of what they're eating and the preparation of it. Joe, I was you. You take a deep dive into all types of seafood, and I think one item in particular I would be quite intimidated to prepare, and that is grilled Spanish baby octopus. Okay. So, well, how does one really, you know, get? Because I understand it can be really tough. You know, the, there's a tough texture to octopus. Okay, well, there, there's a few things. But be, before I continue with this, first of all, whenever you buy your... In the book, every recipe is, it has the raw picture mm -hmm. that you're supposed to purchase and the finished cooked product that it's what it's supposed to look like. Yes. Every recipe has that. And at Sudarella.com, even you in Chicago or Omaha, Denver, or anybody else, if you go to Cinderella.com, you could order your seafood and you could get it by 1030 the next morning. You will have New York Cinderella quality seafood in, in your home by 1030 the next day. Wow. Wow. That is outstanding. 
that is outstanding. So that, that, that was the, you know, so that's the whole package between me, between writing the book. And I want, I really want to be able to give seafood to all these landlocked states that aren't as fortunate enough as I am being in New York. Yes, yes. And, and Chicago being one of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yes, Chicago has Chicago has a, is, is a little bit better than than Denver and Omaha and Kansas City or, or Nashville. But um, Chicago has a little bit better sourcing. Oh, yes, no, in terms of, of, of sourcing, right. But just in terms of we are landlocked, we have the <laughs> Lake Michigan. But, I know. But no ocean. Uh-huh. Correct. <laughs> That's for sure. But anyway, to get back to your octopus question, it all depends on what you buy. And you could buy octopus that's tenderized. And you could buy octopus that's not tenderized. If it's tenderized, you will only have to boil it a few minutes. Hmm. If it's not tenderized, you're probably going to have to boil it maybe uh, twice the amount of time. And then, after it's boiled, it cools off, then you could just grill it and just put it on the grill like anything else. That is great. That is great. And, and listeners, with this book, and I love how you have presented this, uh, Joe, it, it really is outstanding. Um, you, as you were saying, you have the picture of the raw uh, fish item and then what it looks like with the recipe um, when it's baked. And you have these amazing recipes, too, in terms of how to serve it, what to do. Um, and even what to ask your your fishmonger. And if we could chat about that, because I know you really want um, the readers to, to go away with what to look for when purchasing a fish, how you develop a relationship with your fishmonger, how to portion, handle, and store fish, and where and what to buy when it comes to essential kitchen tools. So I... I guess if we can start with what do you look look for when purchasing a fish? Okay. So, you know, people ask me this question all the time. And it's not that easy to answer that question because I would say for the most part, you have to trust your fishmonger. But uh, one of the things that I would say is a key is... So I believe we are all aware of watching television or looking at your computer screen. And then again, looking at your computer screen or looking at your television in HD. Yes. So the, the fish that you purchase, that, finely defi- that should be that finely defined. It should look really sharp as if you're looking at HD. Hmm. Does that help you at all? I guess so. So I, I'm just trying to envision a fish on TV and then looking at an HD. So you really want to be able to see all aspects of the fish. Absolutely. Even even the, the, even uh, the lines in, in um, 
or even the lines in a tuna, or, or whether it's a steak, whether it's a whole fish, or whether it's a fillet, you should always, it, it, it should be like you're looking at something that's HD, really sharp and crisp. Hmm, okay. Because when, 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 a, when a fish gets aged, that sharpness and crispness goes away. It dissipates. Interesting. So the sharper, and I guess the more vivid, would that be a description? Yes. Then it's fresher. Of course. Yes. And you really do want to make sure that the source is fresh. You know, I guess the word vivid is, is another good word of say. Of, that's what I was trying to say when I said HD. Mm-hmm. High, de- high definition. Yes. But, um, I think that would be um that I think that would be the first hint that I would teach someone mm-hmm. what to look for. Okay. Now that's good. So you really want to make sure. And then when you talk about developing a relationship with your fishmonger, what how how does that happen? Well, you know, I guess it's the same as you have um when you develop a relationship with, with really anybody, you know, uh, I'm sure people have have a relationship with, with, with your butcher on how you want your, your meat, your chickens cleaned or, or cut, and, and, and how you want your steak, how thick you want your steaks cut, and I want my chickens in quarters, or I want them in halves, or I want, them, I want a chicken cut in eighths. Right. So you, you, you just have to form the same relationship when you're working with your seafood. Okay, and maybe find out which which day is everything being delivered off the truck. That type of thing to find information regarding that. That doesn't matter so much okay. because if if, it, if the product wasn't taken care of properly, it doesn't matter if it just comes in or not. Okay, you have to trust your fishmonger on that. Okay. That is great. So really, take that time to develop that same relationship you have with the butcher as with. You do with the fishmonger. Um, and then I think it's one area that I really kind of get intimidated by as well in terms of um, how to handle and store fish. How long does fish store? You know, how and what is the best way? Uh, can you buy something the night before you're, you're preparing a meal? Um, or does uh, it really need to be same day? No. Listen. Uh, if you're buying something from Citarella, it could be the following day, even maybe even the day after. Okay. I've done that mm-hmm. for my own home. But, it, you know, it, it all depends where it comes from and uh, how, how fresh it is to start with, which I, I can't help you with. Right. No, exactly. So I guess the best test of fish expiration is to d- d- just your sense of smell and, and eyesight. Well, it, well if, it, if, if it gets to that point, you're in trouble. <laughs> okay. Fresh fish should never smell. Okay. That's, that's good to know. So fresh, fresh fish should never smell. Fresh fish should never smell. That is never. so surprising. You walk into any Citarella in New York, you'll never smell fish. Wow. Okay. This this is. I'm going to have to come walk into Citarella, the the fish market there. That that's great. This is great. Um, so, what are the key essential tools that um, a home chef should have? 
Um, I guess the first would be a, a, a grill, mm-hmm. uh, a saute pan. Um, uh, a nice size spatula. Okay. And outside of that, those are the things that that that, that I think one needs uh, to be able to saute a, 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 a decent sized fillet, mm-hmm. and you saute it for a minute and a half on one side, and you have to be able to flip it over. Okay. For another for another minute and a half. So a, a good saute pan. A good, uh, a good spatula and a good grill. And, okay. you know, everything needs everything need to be uh, the grill, especially if you're going to grill a steak or you're going to grill a whole fish. Mm-hmm. The grill needs to be really hot. Okay. I describe it in the book. Yes. And th- this is going to be an incredible, an incredible resource. So if you're grilling, do you spray the grates or how, because that's the problem. It just always seems to stick on the grates. Is there anything you can do if you're grilling so the sure. fish won't well, stick? What, what I, sure. What I do is I, I always spray the grill. But besides that, what I do is I put my fish, whether it's a whole fish or steaks, salmon steaks or uh, swordfish steaks or tuna steaks, I put them in a bowl. And I, in the bowl, I put olive oil, salt and pepper, and I mix it all around. So I know the fish is well oiled. Okay. And then when you put it on the grill for a minute and a half, you put it on. Don't touch it. Look at your clock. Pass the time away. Don't answer your cell phone. (laughs) Don't do any of that. In a minute and a half, flip it. And after another minute and a half, you're done. I love this. So there's no such thing as barbecuing fish. (laughs) It's not low and slow. It is hot and fast. Yeah, you can't. The same, I recommend the same thing even on an outdoor barbecue. Exactly the same. Yeah. You know, you just have to figure out the the temperature that you like. I like my, 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 I like my tuna rare. I have friends that like it well done. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing like steak. This is great. You know, know, so I I have friends that like their beef well done. I try to stay away from them as far as I can. I want to sit at the other end of the table (laughs) from them, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I love, too, the creativity. Readers, you're going to really enjoy just these unique um, recipes featured. I've never heard of oyster shooters. Can you please uh, share with us what inspired this recipe? And also, if you could please give us a quick lesson about oysters, because I... I have always understood that you only buy oysters in certain months. If you could share with us about that, too. That's an old wives' tale. Okay. And everything else, when you were speaking about freshness, all of that was an old wives' tale. Nowadays, you have, you have, fly, you have planes flying. You've got stuff going all over the world every day. <laughs> so it's not like it was years ago. That's number one. Okay. Which it was like that years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. But nowadays, you, you have shipments all the time. I get fish flown in from South Africa, from New Zealand, uh, from Norway, from all over the world. And it, it, everything is flown in, and, and the fish is fresh as, 
is as fresh as it could be. Great. And, and um, so you asked me about oyster shooters. The oyster shooters. What inspired this? I, it is so creative. You've <laughs> given me a complete appreciation of how else you can eat an oyster or drink an oyster. So, so every Christmas Eve, I have friends and family over. And I decided, I said, you know what? And, you know, there's, there's the Feast of Seven Fish, yes. which I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, maybe I do 11 or 12 different dishes. Um, but I said, you know what, guys? This is what we're going to do. We're going to start with a, we're going to start with a Christmas toast. So I put an oyster in the shot glass and I put a little vodka and I put a short shot of Tabasco. And everybody, and we just cheer and down the hatch, one shot. <laughs> that's how I created it. That's how I started the Oyster Shooters. That is great. And that starts, starts the holiday season. I love it, to cheer the season with Oyster Shooters. <laughs> and I just have a question, because I, I want to get over my intimidation about oysters as well. How, what is the, I, think, I guess, the most proper way to eat an oyster? I mean, because here, I, I guess you don't chew the oyster when you're drinking. It's just like a, right? You just shoot it? No, sure you could, no, you could chew it. Of course you could chew it. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. No problem. Okay. No, well, that's... one thing I will, what I, what I will tell you. Mm-hmm. So being here in New York, I have the luxury of all the time of having Oysters from Maine, oysters from Massachusetts, oysters from from uh, Rhode Island, oysters from Long Island Sound, oysters from Montauk, oysters from Canada, and so I like to when I'm with friends get a half a dozen of each kind. Mm-hmm. This way, we could I'm, I'm teaching them and showing them the difference in taste between different oysters. Because there's different salinities, there's different textures, there's everything about it. So it just so happens, we're sitting down, four of us, and the table next to me, they ordered, ordered oysters also. And I'm watching these people. They're taking their lemon, and they're squeezing their lemon on all the oysters. They're putting cocktail sauce on all the oysters. They're putting mignonette sauce on, on the oysters. And I'm saying, I'm telling my friends, these guys have no idea what they're doing. They should put cocktail sauce on a shell and eat it because they're not going to taste the oyster. Hmm. They're never going to taste the oyster because it's going to be camouflaged. I want to taste the salt water of the oyster. I want to taste what it's all about. Wow. So you can really, your palate is so developed when you eat an oyster, you can say, oh, you know, this came from... Maine. So is there a certain flavor like wines? No, of course it is. But you you will taste it. You'll know what you like and what you don't like. Mm -hmm. You know, not that you're going to say, oh, okay, this is from Maine or this is from here. But you'll say, oh, I like that. No, I don't care for that. I like the other one better. Mm -hmm. And it's a conversation piece. I love that. So to have an oyster tasting. All the time. I love it. But once you stop putting cocktail sauce on it, you're done. Because <laughs> you know what you're true. eating. They're all going to taste. The, they're all going to taste the same. You're right. So this way, you really can appreciate 
the flavor, the unique flavor of each type of oyster. Great advice. Now, one area too, especially as as a home chef, I'm a little more intimidated about, and that is serving raw fish. Is there a strategy for the home chef, you know, the tartare, um, that we should okay. keep in mind? And is there a different way in terms of handling it, preparing it? What do we need to know? Okay, whenever you see the word sushi grade, mm-hmm. I just want everyone to understand what, what that means. They're telling you that the fish is good enough to eat raw. Oh. That's all it means. It means that it's fresh fish. So, now, I'll take it a step further. I, I know that in New York, where I am, here at Citarella, I could eat every single piece of fish off that counter raw with what I sell. Flounder is, doesn't work well raw. Uh, cod doesn't work well raw because you can't slice it. It'll fall apart. But um, the scallops can be raw. Uh, the bronzino can be raw. The striped bass, the red snapper can be raw. And so wherever you see sushi grade, wherever you might go, they're trying to tell you that it's it's good enough to eat raw. This is great. So if they have sushi grade, that means you can, can serve it raw. Correct. But again, you have to trust your fishmonger. Yes, it comes back to that relationship. <laughs> it, come, it all comes back to that. Yes. And um, and then, you know, to make your to make your tartare. You would just cube it in in eighth inch pieces, and uh, look at the recipe that, that that I have. And you could do different things. You could add chives. Um, you could add a little citrus, small amount. You don't want a lot because you don't want to you don't want to overpower the fish. You want to taste the fish, but you want you want you want the, the citrus to complement the fish. Yes. And then you, then then you then you would add sea salt. And there's all different kinds of sea salt. That's another thing that's that's another thing that's very important. Besides the ingredients of the fish that you use, the you need your fine ingredients of fine olive oil and a good sea salt. I never use table salt ever. Never use table always salt. use sea salt. Okay, only sea salt. Well, that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Well, table salt is saltier. It's processed. It's saltier. Sea salt is more natural and is not as salty. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great. That makes a whole lot of sense. And then, of course, you have, it's fabulous. Readers, you are just, and I'm going to make sure I have a link to your book, Joe, for, for the listeners. And the, the cookbook readers will really enjoy the sides that you serve too. Do you have a favorite side to pair with, with fish? You know, it all depends on, on, on my mood. You know, I like my broccoli rabe with sauteed uh, garlic and olive oil. Mm-hmm. But then again, summertime, I like, I like my, uh, my corn and tomato salad. Like right now, I like my corn and tomato salad. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I like my uh, stovetop roasted potatoes too. 
sounds. It all depends how I, I how I feel. Wow! But the star of the plate is the fish dish all the time. Absolutely. And you could you could get the book on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You could get the book in Barnes. It's it, it, it's in every Barnes and Noble in the country. You can get it also on BarnesandNoble.com, and you can get it on Cinderella.com also. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I have the links for everyone. But just another quick question, Joe. Do you like to fish? Ask me whatever you want. (laughs) Thank you. Do you like to fish? You know, I think, do I like to fish? You know what? I make a joke out of it all the time when people ask me that question. Because it's like a mailman going for a walk on his day off. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm, if I'm going with good people, I'll go. But, other, you know, otherwise, you know, I'm afraid. I'm not afraid, but, you know, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I deal with fish seven days. So, you know. But uh, I listen. I need. I don't mind it if the company is good. I do it. But again, it's like a mailman going for a walk on his day off. <laughs> when I was going, when I when I was growing up, the mailman walked every to deliver mail. Yes, yes. So I get that. I understand that is so well described. Well, Joe, thank you so much for helping us all get over our intimidation of of, uh, making fish and seafood at home. I can't wait for the listeners to um, get the link to your book, Joe Knows Fish, Taking the Intimidation Out of Cooking Seafood. And I hope everyone, if you're in New York, to, to visit Citarella. I'm going to be in New York later uh, this year and would love to stop by. Give me, a, give me a call. You have my contact information. That will be wonderful. But meanwhile, thank you so much, Joe, for being on Kitchen Chat. Thank you for having me. I really, I had a good time. Oh, thank you. And thank you, dear foodie friends. Please make sure you check out the links to Joe Knows Fish and visit me in my kitchen, kitchenchat.info. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.